Tonight, if you take out your Bibles, we're going to turn again to the first chapter, verses 5 through 8 here in the book of Revelation. And a lady asked me last week, you know, are are we going to get to the real good stuff? And I said, what, you mean uh, beyond the fact that he's the firstborn of all creation? What, What part is that? The book of Revelation is established in this first chapter, and it is so important that we understand who it's about and why it is written, that if we skip this part, the rest of it almost doesn't make sense. And so tonight, the faithful witness. I want to also remind you that our Thursday nights, you may have noticed we have a few changes up here. Uh, Some of you may be going, what is he doing? And, and others of you may be going, praise the Lord Jesus. Uh, give us a chance, okay? We, we, we believe that the Lord has some wonderful things in store. So we moved a whole bunch of sound gear around this afternoon, and, and uh, we're, we're working towards a couple of things that I think are going to bless you, including moving some of these screens out further and opening up the stage and kind of making some things that are a little more uh, friendly to us. Uh, here as we meet in this place to experience the Lord and to study His Word. And so while we're... Thank you. I also want to add my, my encouragement to you. Invite a friend out to Sunday night. We are, we are currently covering uh, the I Am statements of Jesus in John's Gospel. We're going to be switching to a 23-part series in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to really encourage you. It's a great time to bring people out who do not know the Lord. Uh, It's an awesome opportunity on Sunday nights to bring some of those younger folks that, you know, maybe they're wondering what this whole church thing's all about. Why are these freakish Christians, you know, spending so much time inside of an industrial building? I want to encourage you, invite people out. I don't know how people go all week going from Sunday to Sunday without coming out on midweek. To me, that's a mystery, okay? I I don't get it. I can't go second to second without hearing about my Savior. But uh, I want to just simply encourage you, begin to invite people out. We believe the Lord has an amazing plan. And so tonight, the faithful witness. We're going to pick up in verse 5 down through verse 8. And it begins this way, and from Jesus Christ. This is the third from. The first two actually are somewhat uh, illusionary, if you look at it that way, but the Father and the Holy Spirit are mentioned in the first four verses. And here, now name by name, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Did you know that there's exactly one king on this earth? Amen? His name is Jesus. We're going to look at him tonight. You know, our Congress may think that they are the top dog. Maybe our president might throw himself in that category, perhaps the UN. But I'm here to tell you tonight that there is one king in all the universe, and he is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's the ruler over the rest of the kings. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, if you can get past that verse, we can spend all night on that one. Anybody here glad tonight you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Amen? Has made us kings and priests. You ever thought about that for about two seconds? That you were a king, you were a priest, you were a queen in the kingdom of heaven. If you're here tonight, you're a a lady. No differentiation when you get to heaven. You're going to be a king. Amen? You're saying, yes, amen. 
because the one I currently have at home needs to go. No, it just... (laughs) Kings and priests, to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What comes next? Behold, He's coming with the clouds. Anybody excited about that part? You see, we can't, we're not going to make it very... I'm going to try to get through these four verses, actually. And every eye will see Him. Amen? Amen. One day our King is coming and the whole world's going to take note. Even they who pierced Him. Even Israel. The Jewish people will finally see the one that they pierced. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. For I am the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? The beginning, if you didn't get the Alpha and the Omega, if you didn't get first letter, last letter of the Greek alphabet, how about you get the beginning and the end? So just in case you missed it the first time, Jesus reiterates it for us. And he's using the formula ego-ma, the same one that we're studying on Sunday nights currently. I am the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He was before, he is now, and he forever will be. Beginning and end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come And if you don't get that, the Almighty. Amen? Powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. One that we cannot miss. As the Lord Jesus himself signs this book. Would you pray? Father, we thank you for this time tonight. And God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to make these words alive to us, that our hearts would be inclined towards heaven, that we would look up and see that our Redeemer draws near, or that we'd actually take stock of the day and the hour, for we know not when the Son of Man comes, but we hear the horses warming up in heaven. And so, God, we ask you now to take this time and you make of it, All that you have seen before the foundation of the world were laid, you knew we would be sitting here tonight. And so, Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And from Jesus Christ, verse 5 transports us now to this incredible place that we understand that Jesus literally is, uh, if you will, by the Spirit, taking these words and transmitting them directly to John. He says, this is from me, John. And as you write these things, I don't want anybody to make a mistake about who this came from. This is not purely the Holy Spirit speaking through men of old. This is literally the Holy Spirit being the vehicle through whom Jesus himself speaks to the church. John named the Father, named the Spirit, using figurative language in verse 4. But he names Jesus here outright. He says, this is from Jesus. He makes three statements about the priceless person who is Jesus Christ and about the awesome work that the Lord is doing in this world right now, even today. 
You know, as we look at the things that are going on in our world, it's, it's almost hard to fathom that the Lord could even allow what is going on to be happening. You know, when you, you look at what's going on in, in sub-Saharan Africa, when you see what's going on in our own cities in Baltimore right now, when you see the racial tension, the unrest, when you see brother against brother, and by the way, God sees no color barriers whatsoever. Amen? Uh, he, he looks well beyond our facial features, the color of our skin, directly to the heart, for he is the discerner of the intents of the heart of man. You see, what's going on on the earth breaks God's heart. This is not his intent that the world be in the mess that it's in. That right now we have destroyers escorting uh, cargo ships through the Straits of Hormuz. But the world stands on the brink of war. You remember that Jesus actually said, in the last days, perilous times would come. For there would be wars and rumors of wars. Anybody else get a little jolt from the earthquake this, this morning? You talk about a diverse place, Carson. The other side of the 110. You, you see, we're getting a glimpse into the eternal as we read the book of Revelation. And so John makes these three statements about the person of Christ and of the awesome work of the Lord Jesus. First, he is the faithful witness. Second, he is the first begotten or the firstborn of the dead. And third, he is the prince of the kings of the earth. Those are all things related to the person of Jesus Christ. Then he makes three statements about his work. Who loved us? Have you ever thought that God actually loves you? Have you ever pondered that? One of the things I hope that the men do this weekend as they wander through the forest, as they're sitting on a rock someplace, Jesus loves me, this I know. Amen? For the Bible tells me so. He loves us. A second thing, he washed us. Hallelujah, he washed us. Because you know what? All we like sheep have gone astray. Amen. Everyone turned unto his own way. Isaiah was correct. Paul reiterating those words as he writes to the Roman church said, you know what? We're a dirty, stinky bunch. And we need some serious washing. By the water and by the word. We need washing. And he washed us. I wouldn't have washed me. I would have left me dirty. Matter of fact, I would have left me for dead. He loved us. He washed us. And he actually made us into his family. Why are we taking time on these verses? The answer is, duh. I wonder. And that wasn't meant to be a slight. That's simply to say... This is meat. This is the meat of the message. First is person. He is the faithful witness. It means trustworthy. It means that his witness can be trusted in this world. It means the things we know about Jesus, the things he said about himself, the things that your Bible testifies of are true. It's a faithful witness. It's not some story made up by a bunch of old dudes. 
I had a high schooler a couple of years ago come to me and says, you know, the Bible is just written by a bunch of old dudes. And I said, you mean like me? And he said, no, older. <laughs> it's reliable. The reason that it's so old is that it's true. Truth doesn't change, amen? If you can change it, it's not truth. Truth doesn't change. Notice how it ties into what Jesus said about himself. I am the beginning. I am the end. If you are the beginning and you are the end, then everything in between, guess what you know? You can accurately forecast those things because you know what is the beginning and you know what is the end. We depend on him. Said of Jesus by John as he authored his gospel, or in John chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For no one has seen God at any time, only the begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. For he has declared him, Jesus has declared Father God to us. So in seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus, the faithful witness, we in essence have gotten a glimpse of God the Father. Because the glory of God would kill us. We couldn't directly look upon the glory of God. We'd, we'd be instantaneously destroyed by the brightness of his coming. But in seeing Jesus in the meekness of Christ, in the humility of Christ, in the love of Christ, in all that Jesus was and all that Jesus did, in seeing Jesus, you got a chance to see a glimpse of God. And so Jesus says to us as he begins this incredible work, look, don't miss my personhood here. He's going to deliver that message to us faithfully as well. He is a faithful witness. He that believes in me, though he will die, yet he shall. That's a faithful witness, amen? We have eternal life because of Jesus. The second thing about his person, that he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, people like to say, well, you know, what about Lazarus? He was raised from the dead. Yeah, and he croaked again. <laughs> the widow's son of Nain, also <clears throat> dead. The little girl to whom he said, Talitha kume. Little girl come, also again died. Jesus was the first in a long line of those who would be raised, but he was the preeminent one. The one here first means in rank. It means that he is, in essence, one of one, the beginning. You see, when we look at Jesus, we're looking at One of a kind is the best way to look at it. There is none other. Many people have been raised from the dead only to die again. Basically, they were resuscitated. But not Jesus. He was raised from the dead unto eternal life from which he would never perish again. And because of his resurrection, so we shall one day be raised. Amen? He's the firstborn. Jesus has, Jesus is, 
immortality if you want to look at it that way. And in fact, so much so that the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 went on so far as to say in this sevenfold experience of what the Messiah would be when he came, as he saw him from a Jewish perspective, he would be the father of eternity. And the word father there is not like we think of father. It literally means progenitor. It means beginning of. It means the one who brought forth into this world eternity. He birthed, in other words, eternity. That's our Jesus, his person. Amen? We need to see him that way. Without Jesus, there is no father of eternity. Without Jesus, there is no eternity for you and I. He birthed it. When God the Father raised Jesus the Son from the dead, it was the beginning of eternal life for those who would believe. We can now receive it and believe it because He did it. Not because He talked about it. Not because He wrote a nice thesis on it and turned it into some college somewhere. He was raised and lives forevermore. Amen? His humanity died. And that humanity was raised And he now in heaven bears those scars on his hands. When you see Jesus, you will look upon the one who died for you and is raised. That's why 1 Timothy declares to us in chapter 6, verse 15 to 16, which he made manifest in his own time, speaking of Jesus, he was the blessed and only potentate. You realize there's only one pope, amen? His name is Jesus. Potentate. He is the omnipotent one. That's actually what that word means. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. He alone has immortality. Dwelling in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to him be honor and everlasting power. You see, he's the firstborn. Colossians would go on to tell us, as Paul writes that letter to the church at Colossae in the first chapter, verses 15 and 16, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. Amen? He's not just some kind of godlike ideal, as a Christian scientist would tell you. Well, he's the Christ ideal. You kind of think about him, he's the best we can do when we think about God. No, he is God, incarnate in human flesh. And he also was, and he currently is, and he also is to come. That's very different than an ideal, amen? That's not a theory, It's not like evolution. Well, you know, he kind of was sort of like God, and then he came to earth, and he got a little bit better, and as he got better, then God kind of put some stuff on him, and then he kind of got a little bit better than that, and then then all of a sudden he was glorified, and he went to heaven. That is something that was not, that became something that kind of sort of is, and that's not our Jesus. Amen? He was, he is, and he always will be. Amen? Firstborn, first in position over all creation, the preeminent one. Notice a third thing about his person tonight. And I love this. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. There's one king, and his name is Jesus. It's not our system of democracy, as wonderful as our nation is. I'll tell you a little bit about me. I I got red, white, and blue blood. I love my country. As flawed as it is, as messed up as it is at times, uh, I, I'm one of those guys of the, 
I came of age in the late 1960s, was of draft age in early 1970s, was at the end of the Vietnam War, and I'm actually one of those people that was a little bit disheartened that I, I could not serve my country. I was actually drafted and could not go because they called off the Vietnam War. I was not a warmonger. I wanted to serve my I love my country. However, I love my Jesus a whole lot more. He's our only king. And there may come a time, folks, when we're going to have to choose this day whom we will serve to the point of saying, look, my God said so. And I'm not encouraging disobedience to the, to the government. But I am saying at some point in time, it may come down to that. The Supreme Court is deciding a pivotal issue right now in this nation. Whether or not to redefine marriage. And I can tell you what God's word says about it. God invented marriage. He defined marriage. He declared what marriage is. And he said it is between one man and one woman for life. Amen? It is not unloving to take God's side. He's the king of the universe. Our laws are supposed to mirror what he has said. Our problem is we don't believe what he said. And the church, to some degree, has become asleep on some of these issues. The church needs to wake up. Revival begins in the house of the Lord. Amen? When we recognize who our real king is, then we start voting as a Christocrat. Amen? I was very careful in what I just said. Not a Democrat, not a Republican, not an independent, a Christocrat, one who believes that there actually is a king of the universe and his name is Jesus. And he has spoken in his word how we are to conduct ourselves while we're on this earth, because it's his. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is the only one, Acts 3 says, that is just. He is the prince of peace, according again to Isaiah 9, 6. He will manifest in his own time, 1 Timothy says, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You, you see, right now, according to Ephesians chapter 2, the, the devil has a limited control over this earth. Amen? It's what your Bible says. He is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. It's what your Bible says. It's not what I say, it's what your Bible says. That right now, the devil himself has a very large degree of control over the earth. But one day, our king's coming back, and the devil's going where he belongs. Amen? That millennial reign, I can't wait. You know, I, I'm... Well, I've got to share something with you. How, how many of you, now I know not all you ladies are going to raise your hand. You guys in here, come on, confess. You're, you're waiting for the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, right? It, it's okay. Pugilism's in the Bible. You see, there's a battle going on, and to some degree it's good against evil. I, I will tell you a little, little secret here in case you hadn't heard. Our, our tour director, the guy that's going to be with us as we go to Israel, is Manny Pacquiao's pastor. And so I got some texts and some photos, and I want to encourage you to pray for Manny because he's going to preach Jesus if he wins. 
And he said to say thank you to all of those who are praying for him. So he sent me a little picture with him doing this whole thing this morning. You see, when we think about this corrupt world, there are still good people in this world and there are still people bent on evil in this world. And, and, and guys like Mo Money, Mayweather, and the reason I'm saying that is he today said, I think women ought to be like cars. If you can afford 20 of them, it's great. That's what he said. I'd kind of like to see Manny preach Jesus to mow money's nose. Just saying. There's a battle, amen? Is there not a battle in our world right now? In the last days, men will call evil good and good evil, amen? Where do you think we are? Where do you think we are? When a nation that used to pride itself on freedom supports absolute tyranny in the form of a, of a government like the Iranian government. I can't believe it. Does that mean all Iranians? No, absolutely not. There's some wonderful Christian Iranians. Persians is what they prefer to be called. Wonderful Persian Christians. But the world's a mess because the enemy has his claws in everything. But it won't last for much longer. That's the good news. Amen? Look at the work now. Told you we we're going to have a tough time getting through this. Look at the work of the Lord Jesus to him who loves us. It's actually in the present tense. It looks in an English Bible like it's past tense, like he loved us, past tense. But it's loved in the present tense. He is loving us. He has loved us. He will continue to love us. You see, he has to love us or he wouldn't do any of the things that follow. Amen? You know how I know that? Because I'm not very lovable. And neither are you. For in me, in you, in us dwells no good thing. Amen? You see, in our world, we have conditional love. That's why our divorce rate is over 50%. That's why more than 50% of all people are no longer married. That's why over 50% of all babies are born to unwed mothers because we do not understand what real love is. He loved us in spite of who we are. He's not looking at you and go, wow, you're worth loving. I can get something out of you. You see, our love is conditional. He loved us unconditionally. You know how I know that? The cross. He loved me unconditionally. While I was yet sinning, active, present tense, that verse declares, while I was in the process of being a sin-filled person, Christ died for the ungodly. He loves us. He'll always love you. He can't do anything but love you. He even loves the lost. Did you know that? He loves people that don't love him back. You talk about the work of Jesus. 
I don't know if there's anything that describes him more than that, that he loves us. I think it's hard to beat that as a definition. How do you define God? Love. Jesus, as he was preparing the disciples for his very last evening on this earth, he was at the Passover supper with them in John chapter 13, and he ended uh, verse 1 by saying he loved them to the end. You see, we can love people when people are being nice. We can even love people when there's trouble, providing we can see some way out of it. But Jesus loves us all the way to death. All the way until there's nothing more to do in this life. And as you apply that, as you know the love of Christ, which passes our own knowledge, we'll get to Ephesians chapter 3. As you know that, you're filled with the fullness of God because God is love. It's unfathomable. It's also inscrutable. When you, when you talk about that means it stands up under scrutiny if you don't know what that word means. His love is, you, you can't contest it, in other words. If you were to take the acts of Jesus Christ and you examined them in light of love, there would be no scrutiny to what he did. Nothing that he ever said, all that he has ever said and ever done, if you took it and you just devoured it and said, Lord, I think I found something finally that Jesus did that wasn't loving. You are never going to find something about the Lord Jesus that wasn't motivated and carried out in love. How about Judas? Judas, are you really going to betray me with a kiss? He didn't say to Judas, Judas, you rotten, filthy scum. After all I've done for you. You see, that's what you and I would have said. Amen? You can admit it. It's all right. You're sinners. You're saved by grace. You're not going to lose God's grace by admitting your faults. That's what you and I would have said. You give your life for some people. You support them for three and a half years. You wander around Galilee with them. You say you're going to lay down your life for them. And then one of them betrays you, not with a punch in the face, but with a kiss. And you say, Judas, really? Really? That's love. I wouldn't have done that. Somehow he would have mysteriously not made it. And like uh, Guido, I got something for you to do, you know. The God Father, the God Son. You, you, you see, we wouldn't handle things like Jesus handles things. You wouldn't love me and I wouldn't love you. You look around this room, look how diverse this room is. Look at the people in this room. There are about 8 billion things to divide us, amen? But one thing binds us together. Who is he? Jesus, amen? You see the power of that love? That's why the third part of his work is he washed us from our sins is so amazing. The word washed there is actually very similar to, to like OxyClean for the soul. 
It, it means to loosen and dissolve. It, it doesn't mean, it, if you give a teenager a job to wash something, it generally is not clean, it's just buried. Right? You ladies know what I'm saying. They go out, the dirt goes underneath the carpet in the living room, and they pile more clothes on top of that thing they spilled on the bed. It's not actually clean. But in this case, it means to take that which is dirty and apply something to it so that whatever made the stain is dissolved and thereby gone. Hallelujah. Because you don't get to take any sin to heaven. If your sin is not dissolved, if it's not broken down so much that it can no longer be seen in any way, shape, or form, then your sin remains. That's why he has given to Israel repentance. That's why he's given forgiveness of sins. He's the only one that can do that. And it isn't you that has to pay for your sins. He paid for your sins. Amen? That's why it pains me when people say, well, you know, I I need to go uh, do my penance. You don't need to do penance. Jesus did it for you. You don't need to worry about paying for your own sin. They were paid for on the cross of Christ. Matter of fact, so much so that the prophet Isaiah said, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Amen? Every last person who's ever walked the face of the earth, the sins of the whole cosmos were placed on Jesus. And he died for every last one of them. They can be cleansed. That's why John would write, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake, at the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Notice the method. It's literally he's washing those sins away by his own blood. He's not washing them away with a cleanser. He's not storing them up forever. He's not saving them for later. You see, when we think about forgiveness, our forgiveness is often conditional. Amen? If you come into my office for for marriage counseling, I will usually say something like this. If there's a conflict going on between a husband and a wife, I will say forgiveness must be unconditional. They'll look at me, well, I just can't. And I'll say, no, you just won't. Well, we can't bury the hatchet. I said, no, you bury the hatchet. You just leave the handle sticking out so you can find it. (laughs) God does not leave the handle sticking out so he can find it. Amen? When he says he forgives, he cleanses permanently so that, as Scripture says, your sins can no longer be found. They have gone in such opposite directions that they are the east from the west. Opposite directions. Amen? Now I know, we live on a globe, you start going one way, you start going, you'll bump into each other. That's not what he's talking about. East from the west, eternally. You can't find them. They're going opposite directions in, in the universe itself. You see, that's what Psalm 103 is all about there in the 12th verse. And he also says that indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, Isaiah said in Isaiah 38, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. He, the, the image is this. God's going that way. Your sins are that way. They're behind his back. He can't find them. doesn't even know where they are. Washed. By the blood of the Lamb. What, what can wash away my sin? Amen? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? That's why Scripture is always declared, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no cleansing of sin. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, your sin remains. You see, his person, his work, does that. And that's why what follows is a hymn of praise, beginning in verse 6. For he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. That's why it says that. It's this incredible doxology. That's a hymn of praise, in case you didn't know what that word means. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Amen? That's a doxology. We praise him because he's worthy of praise. The book of Revelation begins with praise to our God. Praise to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, what he's really saying is this priest that we ought to be bears witness of the king that he is. Amen? That's why, are you acting like the priest? Are you acting like the king that you and I really are? You see, because he is who he says he is, and he has said about us that we are priests and kings in his kingdom. Now, I know that's hard to fathom. We don't quite get the whole monarchy thing. If anybody can explain to me why the British do what they do, I need to know, because it makes no sense to me. You have a figurehead queen, and she actually doesn't run the country, but you spend almost $50 billion a year so that she looks good on TV, and she's 90. (laughs) We're talking a lot of crevice cream to fill those cracks, okay? I don't know what that stuff's called, but it works miracles. <laughs> we don't understand a monarchy. But you are a king and you are a priest. You, you see, kings show forth strength, might, all those kind of things. And as we, we think on these things, we, we live for him, we tell others about him. You see, priests... Tell about God, right? And kings live for the kingdom. Amen? That much we do know. And so he says, and dominion, and power, and glory, for it's a doxology. He's worthy of our praise. He says, amen, let it be so. I I love that word. You know, when we think about saying it, we don't say amen as much as we ought to. We hear the word of God. And again, I'm not telling you you have to say amen. But if you feel feel moved to the Spirit to say amen, all you're saying is, I agree. Amen? That's all it means. Amen. So be it. Speak it. That's true. You see, you can say that about the word of God because the word of God is true and every man is a liar. You speak forth the word of God, you're speaking forth true. In that sense, you're actually prophesying. When you speak forth things that God has already spoken, you're actually prophesying at that point. You're speaking prophetically forth the word that has been spoken to you. That's why we try not to mess up God's word, amen? We do our best to keep it as he put it forth. Notice verse 7, for behold, I love this, he is coming with clouds. Notice it is with, we need to get this part, Who is this faithful witness? It's Jesus himself. 
Shows what he's going to do for the church. Shows what he is to Israel. and Shows what he is to all eternity and to all creation in these remaining verses. Who is this Jesus? Well, behold, he's coming with the clouds. Whenever you see the word behold, that's like wake up, okay? That's what it means. If you ever get, when you travel to foreign countries, one of the things you learn to do very quickly is you learn what gate numbers are in a foreign language. You're you're listening for your gate number. That was my gate number, my flight number. You're sitting there. That was my number. Because if you don't, you're going to miss your flight. When Jesus says, behold, he does not want you to miss this. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. You see, he's talking about the whole world, including national Israel. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, again, amen, so be it, yes, Lord. So the Holy Spirit, speaking to John, as Jesus is dictating these things to him, says, look, tell him that I'm coming again. Amen? He's coming again twice, by the way. We need to remember that. Once he is coming with the church, and once he is coming for the church, two different comings. We need to make sure we differentiate between those two comings. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 says he's coming in the clouds. This verse says he's coming with the clouds. What are those clouds? Clouds of people. The host of heaven. The army of the Lord. If you ever wanted to do the horseback riding through heaven thing, you're going to get to do that. Me, I've been bit by too many horses. I'm walking. (laughs) I'll be there a little slower, but I'll make it. No. No, we're coming with the host of heaven. And every single person on the earth is going to look up and see that's Jesus. Including the Jewish people. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's chosen people, Israel. The rapture is going to come for the saints. The second coming is going to come with the saints. And basically that's the climax of all prophecy. This is it. This is the big moment. This is a grand crescendo. We're going to get to this as we travel through this amazing book as the Lord deals with humankind. But that second coming is going to be a very public one according to Matthew chapter 24. It's not going to be something where people are going to go, Ooh, aliens. I don't know what people are going to think after the rapture, other than they're going to be saying, yes, those Christians are finally gone. (laughs) They have troubled us long enough. I mean, look at all the hideous things they did, like starting all of the major hospitals on earth, most of the orphanages, you know, all of the inner city works to help people who are less fortunate. Man, I'm sure glad they're all gone. You see, one day... Jesus is going to say, enough's enough. We will have spent time at the marriage supper of the Lamb, sitting with our, with our bridegroom. Amen? 
I, don't, I always get asked these weird questions. What do they eat in heaven? All I can tell you is I'm firmly convinced there will be bacon trees. Just saying. I don't know. But there's a marriage supper. How can you go to a, anything that has a supper and not have bacon? But there's no death, so you can't kill anything, so it's got to be a bacon tree. You see my theology. I know it's twisted. But Zephaniah chapter 12 says, And I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace, amen, and of supplication, and they will look on him whom they pierced. Yes, to mourn him as one who mourns his only son, and grieve for him who grieves for their firstborn. One day, praise God. That blindness in part that Paul spoke about that's come upon Israel will be gone. And they will see their Messiah. They'll understand exactly who Jesus is. And at first they will mourn and then they will rejoice for their king comes. Hallelujah. All of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why will they mourn? Because they'll finally see Jesus for who Jesus is, the king of the universe. Why do you suppose that Paul wrote that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, whether they live under and on wherever they're at, they're going to know. Amen? That's why he said it. Because when he comes again, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will finally wipe out sin. He will deal with what has ailed mankind since the garden. Jesus signs this letter personally, and I want you to see how he does it in the remaining couple of minutes. Sure, he's going to rapture the church. Yes, he will come again. But the fulfillment of all prophecy is actually, remember what he said? I want you in my kingdom you see what what began elsewhere in scripture is going to end in the book of revelation ultimately with a new heaven and a new earth amen you see everything that mankind's messed up when you think of jesus as redeemer sometimes it's fairly simple to think of him redeeming us individually or redeeming the church but he's going to redeem all of creation And right now, Paul actually said, writing to the church at Rome, that the whole creation groans for that redemption. That's why when you, I used to, when I was backpacking in the 60s, I know, it makes me old, but yes, I was backpacking in the 60s. We were on the John Muir Trail in the middle of the Sierras. When you were in the middle of the Sierras in the 60s, when you look up at the night sky, I mean, you, you couldn't sleep because of the Milky Way being so bright. Now we look up and, oh, there's the space station, and there go, that's a 777, I think. And, you know, I mean, let's, let's face it. We haven't done such a great job of stewardship of his creation. But one day he's going to remake the whole thing. Hallelujah. Me and Pastor Dave are going trout fishing. We've already decided. And none of you were invited. It's our own secret place. I don't know what we're catching them with because we can't kill them, but 
You, you see, there are all kinds of things about the creation that we look at and we're just like, I go to Yosemite Valley now and it just, it, it pains me because there's been so many forest fires and there's smog in the valley. There's 845 buses. You're like, what? But one day, he's coming back to fix what's messed up. For I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I was the beginning. I am now. And I'm also the end. You see, there's an end to this. And it's a good end. It's an end that sets right all of the things that have happened throughout all the millennia of time that mankind's been on this earth. You know, as I've traveled around the world, I have to tell you, it's hard sometimes to to come back to the U.S. It's hard. Not because I don't want to be here, but when you, when you look at so much poverty and you look at so much pain and you see people around the world in such great need and you recognize, family, hear me well, proven fact, our pets eat a higher protein diet than 86% of the rest of the world. I don't think that makes Jesus happy. But one day he's going to fix it. And there isn't going to be this haves and haves not thing that we have going on right now. He's going to make it all the way it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve got involved. He's going to fix what got messed up in the garden. I am the Alpha But praise God, he's the Omega, amen? He's the beginning, he's also the end, who is, who was, and who is to come. And notice he signs off as the Almighty. Do you know why it says that at the end? Because the Almighty can bring it all to pass, amen? You see, that's why he's the faithful witness. He was there before it all started. He's been here throughout the whole process, And he's the one that's going to figure out when the end has come and make sure it comes to pass exactly as he has foreseen it. Exactly as he has foretold it. Nothing transcends him. He's absolute God. He's in essence the goal of all creation in that sense. We're on this earth to give glory to God. Amen? And by the way, you all were an awesome choir tonight. You need to get better at it, because that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. (laughs) So find your volume knob, turn it up. Oh, one day we're going to be praising God together in the heavens. That's the goal of all of creation, is to bring glory to God. That's why the psalmist David said, The heavens declare your handiwork. The moon and the stars. Those things that we look up in the night sky and we go, man, that's awesome. Imagine when Jesus gets rid of all the junk and we can see it for what he truly intended it to be. 
He's the one, as Amos 4 said, who forms the mountains and creates the wind, who declares what is man's thought, who makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts is his name. Amen? He's going to be there when it's all done. And those who look forward to his glorious appearing, we're going to be grinning from ear to ear. We're going to be praising. We're going to be glorifying God. That's why the author of Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, amen, who is the author and the finisher of our, for the joy that was set before him, endured the, despised the, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, amen? One day he's bringing that throne right back down here to earth, amen? I can't wait. One day, Jesus. And it might be today. You don't know him. There's none like him. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, we have come tonight just in awe, Lord, of your word. And we pray, God, as we continue to just study it together, that you would cause it to leap out of these pages and into our minds and our hearts, and that, Lord, it would stimulate us to go forth into this dying world, Lord, this world that one day will be wrapped up like a scroll, and one day will be remade into a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. We are so thankful, God, for the work that you're doing in our lives in this church. And Lord, we know if you were to take your hand off of this earth, it would, it would surely perish. And so we thank you for the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. We pray that we would be salt, we would be light, Lord, in this dark world. We're so grateful for your love, so thankful for your great provision. Pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we go our way. Would we be touched by you and we, would we be used by you? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you, and all God's people joyfully said, Amen, amen and Amen.